God sent his only son that we might live in and through him. But whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did, passing from death to life as we love one another, not being led astray, but remaining in his light where there is no darkness at all. For the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. So let us love one another without fear, for perfect love drives out fear. And if we love one another, God's love is made complete in us. Believe in the name of his Son and love one another. Dear children, let us not only love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Well, it's so good to have you with us today, whether you're here in the room or with us online or at our Skagit campus or one of our community sites. Thank you so much for being here today. On the first day of spring, summer, or, uh, spring equinox today, which means for the next six months, we get more daylight than dark. And uh, very excited about that. If that doesn't cause you to worship Jesus, I don't know what will. But it is good to have you uh, with us today as we continue in this series for a couple of more, three more weeks. Um, you know, I've, I've struggled throughout this series, if you've been with us, to know that I, I can only get like through two or three verses at a time in this, in this study of 1 John because it's so filled with stuff and it, the frustration of having to skip over large uh, portions of this book. And then this week, I read something that kind of encouraged me. It was about how the Puritan writers would write a book three, four hundred years ago. It says that they would find one verse of Scripture and they would begin to work on it. They would begin to think about it. They begin to chew on it, meditate on it. They begin to study it. And after a while, when they had, had like kind of like drawn out all of the heart-affecting uh, truths, theological truths, they would have a stack of two to three hundred pages of information, thoughts, and, and theology on this one verse, and then they would send it off to the publisher and they would start a book. I'm like, okay, if they could do that with one verse, then I'm okay, only covering two or three verses in uh, a sermon. So today, uh, we're really only going to focus on one verse out of the book of 1 John. We, we will get there. And my prayer is this, that as we look at this verse, and I think this one verse that we're going to look at today has such beauty and so much power that the more we live with it, the more we understand it, the more we believe it, the more it will transform our lives. And my prayer has been this, that because of the active, living, active Word of God, the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit, that this one verse would change our lives. That because of this one verse, not just our time in, in, in this room, but because of this verse and its truth, that our minds would be broadened and our perspective would widen, that, that, our, that we would be emboldened in our courage that our, our worship would be deeper and sweeter and our lives would be transformed. Now you say, well, you're setting this one verse up for failure. Well, actually, when it's the living word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, no, I'm not. This verse has the power to transform our lives. And I'm really glad that you're here today. Now, it's going to take a minute before I ever get to that verse. Just know that my setup for this verse is going to be longer than my sermon about this verse. So hang with me on this. We are in this series in the book of 1 John, not the Gospel of John. This is a little document way at the end of the New Testament, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, 1st John. And it was originally written from a 
former pastor to his con- former congregation, not so much as a letter, but almost like a sermon that he would deliver. And I was thinking about the brilliance of writing this sermon to them. Because I know the shelf life of a sermon. I do this weekly. And I know for some of you, the shelf life of this sermon, you won't even make it through this sermon without sleeping. And for some of you, you'll forget what the sermon was about by the time you get to your car, and maybe by Thursday, it's gone. I understand the shelf life. I'm realistic. I don't expect you to remember. I don't even remember all the things I've preached. But when he writes this down, this is brilliant because it's not just a one and done, we heard it and then we forgot it, in one ear, out the other. This is something they could go back, they could reread, they could look at it, they could learn it again, they could be reminded of it. Not only that, but 2,000 years later, we could benefit from it as well. And so we will. Because the words he writes to them are so incredibly powerful. The words he writes to them are so important because they've been taught some false truths and he has to correct those things. And maybe he has to correct them over and over again. Maybe they could read this over and over again. Now, I think you would agree with me that there are incredible power in words. And I'm not just talking about divine words. I'm just talking about words in general. That there are words that can be spoken to you, words that are said to you, words that are communicated to you, and it can change the way that you believe. And when those beliefs are changed, it can change the way that you behave. And those words are so powerful. You hear a truth, it can change your belief, it can change your behavior, it can change your life. And the converse is true as well. That you can hear some false words, you can hear some words that are wrong, you can hear some words that are kind of different that begin to change your belief in a different direction. Begin to change your behavior in a different direction. Begin to transform your life in a different direction. Words are powerful. They change our beliefs and our behavior. I, I, let me illustrate this from when I was a child. The event that I'm telling you is absolutely true. I called my mom this week to confirm, to verify, because I'm not sure that I remember the event or if I just remember my parents telling me the event over the years, because I was a little guy, three, four years old. This is like back in 1967-ish. Three or four years old. My dad, hard to believe, was 32 at the time. He and my mom, they had us, three kids between the ages of about four and seven. And we were living in Ruston, Louisiana, and someone had given us, our family, but our, us kids, a little hamster. Now, we weren't farm people. We didn't have a lot of animals. My sister was highly allergic to everything, so this was a rarity for us. We had this little hamster. And one day, I don't know the details, if we were holding it or someone left the cage open, the hamster got out in the house. And so we had to catch the hamster. And as we began running and screaming and chasing this hamster, it frightened and startled this hamster. And so it's zipping all over the house and no one can seem to catch it. And eventually the hamster makes its way into the kitchen and found security and safety behind the refrigerator back in the corner. The hamster thought it was finally safe. We recognized it's finally cornered. We can capture this hamster now. And my dad pulled the refrigerator. This is before the days of refrigerators easily moving. Kind of twisted the refrigerator just enough so that one of us kids could get back there and grab the hamster. Not big enough of a, of a spot for he or mom to get back. Mom's probably on a chair anyway. But he said to my older sister, Lori, and to my older brother, Jerry, one of you get back there and grab that hamster. And they were saying, no, it'll bite me, and they're scared and all that. And then my dad spoke these incredible words of truth. My dad said, you know, I think Bobby's the only brave enough one to go back there and get that hamster. <laughs> right, Bobby? I am. Yeah, I am. And as a three- or four-year-old, 
based on the words of my father, it changed my belief and it changed my behavior. And I went back behind that refrigerator, the only of the Marvel three that's brave enough to do such a thing. <laughs> and I went down in the corner and got the little fella and was coming out only because of the words of my father. And then my dad said something else. He said, Bobby, watch out for his stinger. <laughs> and I started my own SpaceX project. <laughs> Some of you are old enough to remember the Muppets Pigs in Space. It was hamster in space. I launched that little guy so far because of the words of my father. You see, that one of the words of my father were truth, and they changed my beliefs and behavior. And then there were these words of my father that were untrue, and they changed my beliefs and my behavior. Now, I have to stop here because last night I never finished the story, and I had so many people after church didn't hear the rest of my sermon concerned about the hamster. It was fine. Can I go on? So the reason I tell you that is, is John is dealing with this same thing. There have been some words that have been spoken to his congregation that he loves, and they have believed those words, and it has impacted their behavior, and in essence, spiritually and behaviorally, they've been launching spiritual hamsters because they believed the wrong thing. So now he needs to tell them the truth. He needs to change their thinking, their belief on the truth so that it will change their behavior as well. So he writes this sermon out. A little side note for us, this is why it is so vitally important that we fill our minds with the truth of God's words because we're hearing messages from our world, from our culture, from our newsfeed, from our friends, from Facebook, from our families, from the whole world around us. We're feeding a lot about priorities and values and what's right and what's wrong. And God's word is the truth that changes our beliefs and our behaviors. Now, that was for free. That wasn't even part of the notes, but that's why we want you to be in the Word of God. That's why we want you to read it, to study it, to discuss it, to memorize it, to, to live it out. Paul would write in Colossians chapter 3, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Fill your mind with the truth of God's Word. Now, somebody's saying, okay, so Bob, it sounds like this verse that we're eventually going to get to is where John is kind of like, trying to fire these guys up, kind of give them a pep rally, kind of pump them up with some positive thinking. Give them a little shot at Norman Vincent Peale. Throw a little Tony Robbins in there. Let, let me just say this. I am all about the reality that we all get to choose our own attitude every day, regardless of our circumstances, that we can choose a positive attitude. I tell you what, I am all about dwelling on the positive, not the negative. Uh, People that are positive are fun, more fun to be around. People who dwell on the positive are less miserable in life. I'm all about that. But let me be really clear that I want to give you a distinction that what we're going to look at, the verse we're going to see that has the power to transform our lives is not just positive thinking. Positive thinking is great. I'm all about that. Really, I am. But this is more. See, there's a difference. Let me differentiate between positive thinking versus divine reality. Positive thinking is good. But these people need more than just a little bit of a positive affirmation. You're good enough, you're smart enough, and doggone it, people like you. They need a little more than Hans and Fran here to pump you up. They need a little more than Matt Foley telling them the truth so that they don't end up spiritually in a van down by the river. They need someone to do more than just say, you can do it. They need something more than just positive thinking. They need a divine truth that they can build their lives on. 
And that's what we're going to see. And I think the essence of what he's trying to communicate to his people and what we need to hear is this, is don't live below your reality. Don't live below your reality. Don't let the lies of this world hold you back and hold you down. Don't let the, the, the lies of this world bring you down to this point of fear and discouragement and hopelessness and to lose heart. And if that's the essence of his message, my guess is this, that his listeners would say, wait a second, John, you tell us not to, not to live below our reality so that we don't lose heart. Do you not understand our reality is the very reason that we have fear? the very reason we have discouragement, the very reason we feel hopeless, the very reason we've lost heart? Do you not know our reality? Let me explain their reality. They lived as a part of the Roman Empire, the most powerful empire on the entire planet at that point. There was the Pax Romana, the, the peace of Rome, but it was a fear-based peace. And some of them are old enough to remember Nero, and the persecution that cost the lives of some of their relatives. That to be a follower of Jesus when Nero was the emperor meant that you might end up eaten by wild animals, end up being destroyed by gladiators. They understood. Well, Nero's gone, but there's a new emperor now. His name is Domitian. And Domitian ruled from 81 to 90, AD, 81 to, to 95. And that era was called the, the, the reign of terror. Domitian would, would kill his brothers and his senators. And while there's not 100% agreement on this, many historians and many believe that under Domitian, there was a second wave of persecution against the Christians. Whereas if you were to, if you were to proclaim your faith in Christ that it could cost you your life. In Fox's book of martyrs, this, the book written by John Fox, he said that during Domitian's reign, there was, there was a law that said this, no Christian once brought before the tribunal should be exempt from punishment without re renouncing his religion. And John, you want us to not live below our reality? That is our reality. That if we claim to follow Jesus, there's going to be punishment and possibly a loss of our lives. And we remember when this happened before. Our parents, our relatives lost their lives. And on top of that, this church is in Ephesus. Ephesus and the culture, the pagan culture that they lived in, all of Ephesus was built around idolatry and immorality. Now here's this city and and. And this temple, the temple to, to Artemis, was, was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was magnificent. And here they are in these little house churches. They don't even have a temple. And look at this temple that they live in the shadow of. And some of them remember the riots that took place. Acts chapter 19, when Demetrius, the silver worker, was so upset because the Christians had started changing people's understanding about Artemis and began to affect them economically and the riot that took place and, and what they just about destroyed Paul and they all rushed into the theater. Some of them are old enough to remember that. And not only that, whatever religious, pagan religion there is to Artemis, this pagan goddess of fertility and some of the absolute 
hedonistic, immoral atrocities that happen in that temple. And this is the culture we live in. And we remember how upset they were at Christians. John, this is our reality. We live in an empire that is not pro-Christian. And we live in a city that is so pagan. That's our reality. That's why we're losing heart. That's why we're discouraged. That's why we feel hopeless. And where you would think there'd be some sympathy, those in the Jewish community, if they're not followers of Jesus, they look at us like we're some wackos following this cult leader who was crucified and we say he was raised from the dead and our Jewish brothers and sisters have rejected us. Some from our own family, they want nothing to do with us. That's our reality. And within the church, there are these leaders that come in and, and they have conflicting messages and it's so confusing and we're not even sure who to believe within the church. Those who are, say they're followers of Jesus and some say that Jesus was not fully human and some say that he was not fully God and, and we don't even know what to believe. And on top of all that, John, the spirit on a spiritual realm, the spirit of the Antichrist is at work in our midst and you want us to not live below our reality. That is our reality. Our reality is why we feel hopeless. Our reality is why we're discouraged. Our reality is why we lose heart. Now let's push pause on that in their situation. Because some of you today, as followers of Jesus, you're discouraged. It feels hopeless. You live with great fear and you've lost heart. The details are different, but it's because of our reality. The political division, the lack of human decency and civility in our world, the social injustice, the division everywhere, the hatred, the corporate greed, the economy, the environment, the lack of morals, the lack of good judgment, the spiritual degradation of our nation and our world, the atrocities of a war going on across the globe, that's our reality. And it leaves us feeling hopeless and discouraged. And you want us to somehow not live below our reality? Do you know our reality? And I think John would say to his listeners and to us, I do. He's not denying their reality. He's expanding it. He's not saying, hey, stick your head in the sand. Quit watching the news. Don't believe anything that's going on. He doesn't deny this. He's not saying be, be like a Pollyanna. Just ignorance is bliss. So live a blissful, ignorant life. He understands reality. John would be the first to say, listen, my brother James, read it in Acts chapter 12. He was killed by Herod. I know harsh realities for following Christ. I lived through Nero's horrible reign. Of the 12 disciples, I'm the last one standing. The rest are dead, not because of old age either. I know that. You think it's tough in Ephesus? Remember, I was your pastor in Ephesus. I understand that. You think it's difficult having the Jewish people like ostracize you? I know my own family. I get that. The, the spiritual realm and the, anti, the spirit of the Antichrist, that's why I'm writing. I fight against that too. And this Domitian, who do you think exiled me to the island of Patmos? I know your reality. 
I'm not denying the reality. The emperor, yes. The Roman Empire, yes. Ephesus, yes. The Jewish haters, yes. The false teachers, yes. All that. And don't get myopic in your view of reality. And there's more. When I was thinking about this whole idea that he doesn't deny the reality, but he expands it, I thought about one more more thing, and then I promise we will get to this verse. I, I did tell you the setup was a little long. I thought of one thing that illustrates this, this whole idea of don't deny reality, expand the reality. And it's from a story that takes place in the Old Testament, 2 Kings chapter 6. Some of you are familiar with this story. I'll give it you the little Cliff Notes version. You can read it on your own. The prophet, the man of God, was a man named Elisha. And Israel was being attacked from the north from an Assyrian king, uh, from the king of Aram. And God would tell Elisha, what he was planning, what this king was planning to do. So he would tell the, you know, the generals of Israel, don't go here, don't go here. Eventually, the, the Arameans are saying, what's the deal? They know our moves. Who's the mole? Who's the one telling? And they said, it's not us. There's this guy, Elisha, this man of God, and God seems to tell him everything we're going to do. So the king says, well, then forget Israel. Let's get after Elisha, because if we can eliminate him, then we can have some victory here. So he sends some horses and chariots and a strong fortress of men down to surround. They find out where Elisha is. They surround the city under the cover of night. Early the next morning, Elisha's servant gets up, you know, opens the the curtains and is like, ooh. The whole city is surrounded with this army of people. And he goes back to Elisha. He says, Elisha, we're surrounded. Basically, what are we going to do? Elisha does not deny the reality that they are surrounded by the enemy. What Elisha does is he expands the reality of this servant. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 16. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Yes, we are surrounded. That's our reality. But let's expand our reality. Let's look beyond this myopic, the the immediate, the the right here in front of you. And he prays for his servant, God, let him see. And his eyes are opened. And then all of a sudden, his reality is expanded. Yes, they are surrounded by the Arameans. But the Arameans are surrounded across the hillside with horses and chariots of fire. And suddenly, He has an expanded reality. Nothing has changed, but everything has changed because he's expanded his reality. And then, while the servant's eyes are open, he prays that all the Aramean's eyes would be closed. And then he does this really cool Jedi mind trick. I mean, it is straight out of Star Wars. These are not the droids you're looking for. (laughs) Uh, Read it for yourself. He says, this is not the road and this is not the city. And I go, okay. Now, anyway, why I tell you that is because it illustrates perfectly What John is trying to do with his people, what we need to do is to understand we don't deny reality. We don't deny the hardships. We expand our reality and the truth therein. So in 1 John, here we go, chapter 4, verse 4, John does not deny the emperor, the Roman Empire, Ephesus, the culture, the Jewish haters, the, the infiltrated uh, false teachers, the, the, the spirit of the Antichrist. He doesn't deny any of it. He begins to expand the reality. First John chapter 4, verse 4, he starts off this way. You, dear children, are from God. You, dear children, 
Suddenly he says, okay, here's our world reality, but let me make this profoundly personal. I'm talking to you. And then he uses this term, dear children. That's not a, that's not a, like a, like a, a, a put down. That, that's not in any way derogatory. It's, it, it's not like kind of just you know, belittling them. Remember, he had been their pastor. He's an older man by now. This is a term of endearment. He loves them. But there's a double meaning when he says, you dear children. Because it's while he loves them, his love pales in comparison to the one who really loves them. As I mentioned last week, as Pastor Brian preached three weeks ago, or four weeks ago, out of uh, 1 John 3, 1, where it says, how great the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that's who we are. When he says, you, dear children, yeah, I, I feel like a spiritual father to you, but don't you understand, you are sons and daughters of our heavenly Father. Our Father who cares for you. Our Father who's aware of your reality. Our Father who can protect for you. Our Father who can provide for you. Our Father who will never leave you or forsake you. You are the dear children of the Most High God. And you are from God. Your very essence, your very life, you are created in the image of God. You live in the shadow of the temple of Artemis. You live under the reign of this Roman emperor, but you are created in the image of God. In Psalm 139, when he says, for you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. And all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. He says, you're from God, created in his image. He has seen you since the day you were conceived. And he has all of your days marked out for you. And not only are you created in the image of the Father, you've been redeemed by the blood of the Son, do you not remember he's our advocate? He's our defense attorney. He's the one that speaks for us. And even more so, he is our atoning sacrifice. It was his life given for ours. It was his blood that was shed so that we could have forgiveness. Don't forget that. And you have been filled and you have been marked and you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit who dwells right within you. You're the dear children of the most, heavenly, most high heavenly Father, and you're from him, created in his image, redeemed by his Son, filled with his Spirit. Don't you forget who you are. And don't you forget whose you are. Your reality, yes, I see that. And there's this reality. You are God's precious daughter. You are his son. And he loves you. And he continues to expand the reality. And he says, and you have overcome. And you have overcome. Not, and we hope that you'll overcome. We think you might overcome. If we can pump you up and get you to believe in yourself, you will overcome. No, he says, you have. You have overcome. Romans chapter 8, verse 37. It says that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We're more than conquerors. We're more than overcomers. We don't have to question that. That's our reality. Now, he'll hit this again and again in chapter 5, and we may look at that in two weeks. Um, I won't go into it deep, but this whole idea of overcoming, 
early parts of First uh, John chapter five hits a lot. Let me just point out one thing. First John chapter five, verse four says this, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Uh, those of you raised in church, let me just take you back. We sang, faith is the victory, faith is the, oh, glorious victory that overcomes world. Right out of 1 John 5, 4. There you go, a little, little, little hymn fix for you this morning. I did that last week too. Check me out. All right. <laughs> he says, listen, you have overcome. You've overcome. And he'll hit this again and again and again. Now, he's not just trying to fire them up. He's not just getting them some pep talks just so they feel good about themselves, like, yes, I can do this, because it's not about them. It's the one. I mean, it's the greater one. He wants them not to focus on, yeah, I think I can do this, I, I, I think I can, I think I can. And he says, no, no, you need to focus on the, the, the expanded reality of who you are, whose you are, and who he is. Remember last week we talked about when our hearts condemn us, that great line, but God is greater than our hearts. And now he's going to take it to the next level. It's not just our hearts that he's greater than. It's so much more. So he comes to them and he says, you, this person, you, dear children, children of God, you've overcome. And then this line, this phrase, this is the phrase that pays. This is the one that if we believed this, would transform our lives, change how we think, change how we believe, change how we live. This is the truth that he wants for them to hold on to, to be gripped by. Some of you are familiar with these words. Because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. I'm gonna read that again. Because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. You ground your life on that one truth, it will change everything. It's not about just trying harder. It's not about believing in yourself. It's about knowing who God is, that this God who is infinite, this God who is eternal, this uncreated one who speaks into existence the creation of the universe and the cosmos, this one who holds it all together, this one who calls out the stars by name, this one who is all-knowing, all-powerful, ever-present, this one who has conquered sin and grave and death, this one who has the name above all names, this one whom the universe cannot contain, this one dwells within you. That reality, if you believe that, that the great creator, the mighty God of the world dwells within me, that will change how you live, not because of you, but because of him in you. And this one who dwells in you, who lives in you, who's put his spirit in you, who's redeemed you by his son, who's created you in his image, this one who is living in you is greater than the one who is in the world. It's that reality. Yes, everything is still there. The Roman Empire, the, the threat of the, losing their lives and the, the culture, but he expands their reality. And I think what he longs for them to have, to gain and to hold on to, and for us that we need as well, is a transcendent perspective. A perspective that sees beyond just these circumstances right in front of us. That regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the situation, and even regardless of the outcomes of our days here on this earth, 
that there's a reality that even goes beyond that. And I wonder, I wonder if John thinks back 55, 60 years earlier, and he was a young man, maybe 20, maybe 21. And that night, and they were in the upper room, and their reality was getting ready to come crashing down around them. And they're having this Passover feast with Jesus, and he washes their feet, does this body and blood broken for you. And, but he, he taught them some things that night, and, and John records these. He wrote this in his gospel, this Last Supper discourse, John 13 through 17. And he remembers those words that Jesus spoke to them. He wrote them down. Oh, yeah, that was in my book, The Gospel, John 16, 33. Jesus said these words. These things I've told you so that in me you might have peace. In the world, you will have troubles. He does not deny reality. In the world, you will have troubles. But be of good cheer. He expands reality. For I have overcome the world. And maybe John remembers back that and says, I want my people to understand that. Yes, the reality is difficult, but there's an expanded reality. Paul would write to the church in Corinth, and he would say that, you know, this reality of God dwelling right within us, what an amazing treasure. And we have this treasure in these jars of clay, these ordinary lives of ours, God dwelling within us. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the all-surpassing power is from God and not from ourselves. It's not just firing ourselves up with positive thinking. It's God dwelling within us. And he does not deny reality. Outwardly, we are pressed on every side. But we are not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. Oh, we're persecuted, but we're not abandoned. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus will be revealed in our body as well. A few verses later, he says, all of this is for your benefit, that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. And then he says this, therefore, with all that in mind, therefore, we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. Reality, outwardly we are wasting away. Expanded reality, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. Reality, for our light and momentary troubles, expanded reality, are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, what is unseen? Not this myopic, just this reality, the expanded reality. What is seen is temporary. What is unseen is eternal. See, the reality is life is difficult. We live in a fallen, broken, evil, sinful world. The expanded reality is we have overcome, and we are the children of the Most High God, and the one who dwells within us is greater than the one who's in this world. Now, that's the one verse. And I think the more you live with that, the more you chew on that, the more you own that, the more beautiful and the more powerful it becomes. When that becomes your thinking, it changes your life. Let me, let me bring it to a current day reality. 
and how this plays out. You are aware of this horrible war that's going on in Ukraine right now. And we've been praying and we've been doing what we can. And there's specifically some pastors that we've been partnering with. In fact, I have a picture of a couple of pastors that we, we partner with. Uh, one of the one in the high-vis uh, vest there is, um, is a pastor in Romania. And the other one is a pastor in Ukraine. The pastor in Romania, um, Sabine is his name. And we have partnered with him. We've sent groups over to work with he. I mean, he, in good times, I mean, he and his church, they, they reach out to those who are outcast in Romania, feed them and help them with jobs and such, bring the gospel. The other pastor, the one from Ukraine, Pastor Igor, he's a pastor of a church in Kiev. He's also a professor. His church is called Resurrection Church, and he's a professor at the Kiev Theological Seminary. And Ralph Rittenhouse, who's a part of our congregation, has been over there, actually taught uh, in, in the seminary there and has a connection uh, with Igor. And we've been praying for these guys. And about three and a half weeks ago, while Russia was building up their troops around the border of Ukraine, the invasion hadn't started, we got this email from Pastor Igor. He writes this. I wrote an article. Remember, he's a professor, so he does these things. I wrote an article called how to prepare for war, and decided that we're not preparing for war, but for love. So I changed my mind and called my article, Prepared for Love. In Ukraine, there were different reactions to this frightening news. One category of people watching the news began to live in fear and anxiety. The others deliberately refused to watch the news so as to not destroy their nervous system. Today, during much anxious fear and panic, indifference and passivity, the Resurrection Church, that's the church he pastors, has an opportunity to be prepared for acts of love. This love can be shown at any time, especially to the most stressful, to propose to people faith, hope, peace, and love. We need to show this love by being with people and encouraging them. The church is people, to call, people called to show love to others. God did not call us to sit in the rear and live in fear watching everything that happens from afar, but called us to do actions of love. This is the time for our church. This is our time to prepare not for war, but for the manifestation of works of love. Now listen, because of your generosity, you know that every year with our Easter offering, we give all of it away, this compassion fund that because of your generosity from last year's Easter, we were able to send them $10,000. And this trailer behind the vehicle, they go to Romania and they fill it up with food and with medical supplies and with diapers and with blankets. And three to four times a day, because Pastor Igor has a humanitarian pass, he takes that trailer into Ukraine, back and forth, to be the hands and feet of Jesus that you were partnering with in an reality that is horrible. They don't deny the reality. They expand the reality. This is a beautiful opportunity for the church to be the church, to love, to serve, and to help. Because the one who is in Igor is greater than the one who is in Russia. The one who is in Sabine, the one who is in the Resurrection Church, 
is greater than the spiritual forces of evil in this world. Now, I, I read that, I hear that, I'm inspired, like, wow, and, and pray for them. P continue to pray for them. And we will continue to partner with them. But what about us? I mean, it's one thing to hear about this church in Ephesus that was part of the Roman Empire and Domitian and all that. That was 2,000 years ago. And it's one thing to hear about Igor and Sabine, and that, that's on the other side of the world. But what about us? What about you and me? What about those times when, when we begin to lose heart? When we were discouraged? When it feels hopeless? Don't stick your head in the sand. Don't be ignorant. Don't deny reality. Expand your reality. Expand your reality and remember that you, dear children, you, 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 dear children, children of the Most High God, created in His image, redeemed by the blood of His Son, filled with His Holy Spirit, you have overcome. You're more than overcomers in Christ. And that the one, the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. What if? What if every morning when we woke up, we didn't give ourselves a pep talk. We held on to a divine reality. That's our reality. What if every morning when we woke up, we just reminded ourselves of this one verse. I wake up this morning, and I'm the precious daughter and the son of the most high God. And I have already overcome because of what Christ has done. And as I start my day today, no matter what's going on in my reality, I expand my reality because the one who is in me is greater than the one who's in this world. What if we lived that way? And what if when we found ourselves getting discouraged and hopeless and starting to lose heart, we said, okay, that's my reality, but I want to expand my reality. I don't want to just build myself up with some positive affirmations. I want to found, build my life on the foundation of the truth that the one who is greater than anything in this world, the one who created this world, dwells within me today. And he will never leave me or forsake me. And we will walk through and we will be victorious regardless of the outcome. What if we lived that way? You see, I believe that one verse would change our minds, would change our behavior, would change our lives. So here's how I want us to end. I want us to do a, kind of a proclamation of this expanded reality. So I'm gonna invite you to stand and uh, those of you in Skagit, if you'd stand. And those of you online, stand if you want. But this is what I want us to do. I want us to read together some verses that I have hanging over my desk as a daily reminder out of Jude 24 and 25. I want us to read out loud these words because it's not just about giving ourselves a pep talk and a positive thinking thing and we're just good enough. It's about the one who's greater. And I want us to read this out loud. And can I ask, when it talks about glory and authority, can you have so, a little more enthusiasm than the Saturday night group had? Because we're talking about the most high God, maybe even crescendo during all that. Let's read this together as a proclamation of our expanded reality of the one who is greater. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.